Good morning, Tejas. Welcome to your premier alternative news solution. I am Jake Ramirez, and I will be bringing you daily news Monday through Friday. I'm hoping to curate news for Texans by a born and raised Texan. Today is Wednesday, December 4th. Before we begin, please go ahead and give us a subscribe so I can keep you up to date on your daily Texas news. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for updates and even more news. Today in Texas history, the outlaw cattleman Joseph Graves Olney met the untimely end of his colorful and controversial life. Joseph Graves Olney was born in Burleson, Texas to Joseph and Mark Olney on October 9, 1849. The family remained in Burleson until about 1860, then they moved to their ranch in Burnett County, Texas. In 1870, Olney married Agnes Jane Arnold and set up his own ranch in neighboring county, Llano County. About this time, Olney became friends with the cowboy Johnny Ringo. If that name sounds familiar, you're probably a Tombstone fan, and yes, it's the same Johnny Ringo. Only is best known for his cattle dispute in Lano County in 1874, where he killed a man named Moses Baird, thereby becoming part of the Central Texas Hills country's notorious Mason County War. After mortally wounding a deputy in a gunfight, Only escaped to his New Mexico and Western uh, ranch under the alias Joe Hill. Fleeing a warrant from his arrest, he was in Arizona by 1870. A rash of cattle rustling and stage robberies in the early 1800s attracted the attention of Wyatt Earp himself. Now, Wyatt Earp decided, hey, I'm going to pin these crimes on Olney, but there was no evidence to indicate that Olney was guilty of any of these crimes. Wyatt Earp was kind of using him as a way out. Um, the outlaw life is, is fun to talk about, but... It doesn't always end well. In this case, Only ended up dying, but he died because he fell off of his horse working on a ranch. Now, the story would have been much more interesting if he died in a huge gunfight or something, but not all history ends that way, but it still is a very interesting part of Texas history. Now it's time for some Texas news. State Representative Rick Miller dropped his re-election bid after saying opponents were challenging him because they were Asian. Obviously, he faced some backlash for those comments, especially in a primary, primarily Asian community. I think he would have fared a whole lot better if he just left race out of it altogether. I think little comments like these are the reason society is having a hard time progressing. We have to eliminate these usages of any sex or ethnicity and just focus mainly on the person and their morals. And I think we'll get a lot further as a society in general. So obviously, he faced some backlash for those comments and he booted himself out. Texas A&M electrical engineer Professor B. Ron Russell wasn't thinking about preventing a wildfire when he developed a tool to detect power line problems before they caused equipment failures or even deadly accidents. He figured he might save a life in his creation, could prevent some of those, those electrocuted by downed live wires. But the fire prevention could be his product's biggest selling point, especially in California and all of these other places that are being devastated by woodland fires. Now, the Texas A&M said that the technology will also be tested in New Zealand and Australia. Obviously, they just had some hugely destructive fires. I don't know if you guys have seen any of this footage. There's some really, really sad footage of some koalas on fire, which is terrible. This technology will definitely help mitigate some of those uh, large fires because what this technology does is it actually tells the engineers when there's a faulty line and where that faulty line is. And if it's equipment. So when these fires are started by these faulty lines, they'll have an exact location, which means that the firefighters and the electrical engineers can help prevent a lot of these fires because they'll know exactly where they are before they become huge fires. 
A Texas judge received public warning Monday from the state's commission on judicial conduct for refusing to perform same-sex marriages. McLennan County Justice of Peace Diane Hensley said her Bible-believing Christian conscience did not allow her to perform same-sex weddings and believes she is entitled to a religious exemption. Hensley continued to perform weddings for heterosexual couples. The order made public Monday said Hensley was violating Texas Code of Conduct for the Judicial Conduct, which states that a judge shall conduct all of the judge's extrajudicial activities so that they do not cast reasonable doubt on the judge's capacity to act impartially as a judge. It said Hensley should receive a public warning for casting doubt on her capacity to impact impartially to persons appearing before her as a judge or their sexual orientation. Um, a public warning is the second highest of the six disciplinary measures used by the commission. Other possible sanctions could include suspension from the office and requiring her to some legal education. All I really have to say about this is you can't be a judge if you're not going to be unbiased or if you're not going to see people for people instead of their sex, religion, race, or anything else. Again, these are those small little adjustments that our society is finally making that will help further us as a society. A North Texas man found something unusual while cutting down part of a tree recently. Michael Chandler of Cleburne said a tree in front of his yard was in danger of falling after a bad storm, so he decided to remove it. After he sawed off one of the limbs, he noticed something that appeared to be the silhouette of an angel in the center. As he continued to saw more off, he saw, he saw that there was wings and there was sounds of, or it looked like sounding of trumpets. Now, I'm, I'm looking at a few photos of these as I'm, I'm talking to you about this. And there is four photos of four different angel patterns. That's how trees grow. Uh, it's an interesting pattern. You can see what looks like an angel, but more than likely, it's just some old dying wood. Um, if you want to see it for yourself, check it out on Twitter. There's a few post photos that I'm going to post, and there's some more out there. Interesting story, kind of like the Jesus and the tortilla story. I found it kind of interesting. A Thanksgiving fire kills two parents and four children survive thanks to a hero sibling. In Hawking, Texas, a Thanksgiving fire claimed the lives of two East Texas parents with their four children just barely escaping the flames. Dallas, the oldest child, woke up and smelled smoke. When he realized that there was a fire, he tore through the bathroom wall to rescue his three young sisters to safety. Wow. That gave me chills, really. Uh, he was in a panic and he tore through the wall. He tore through the wall to get to his sisters, and he was able to save them. What an incredible kid. Uh, the mother, unfortunately, the mother and the father, unfortunately, they were killed in the blaze. But thanks to the heroic and brave actions of the eldest, he was able to get the other three out. Uh, the fire did, did appear to be accidental. Still heartbreaking. Those kids have to live without their parents now. But thankfully, they are still alive. Body of a Texas man found in South Central Wyoming. Casper, Wyoming searchers have found for a 52-year-old man. <clears throat> cut. Casper, Wyoming researchers. Cut. Casper, Wyoming searchers found the body of a 52-year-old Texas man who went missing after his truck caught on fire in South Central Wyoming. The authorities say Jerry Slasher's vehicle caught on fire in Wyoming near the Colorado-Wyoming border on November 25th. He got lost after the vehicle caught fire. I really have so many questions. Is first, how did the truck catch on fire? How did he get lost? 
how do y'all have the audacity to, to, to think that we're going to believe this story? I smell foul play all over it. I don't know any 52-year-old man who's just going to get lost after, after his truck catches on fire. Um, I, I, I really just, how did they know he got lost? I don't know how to connect those two dots. Obviously, they probably found some footsteps. I don't think that constitutes enough for him for them to think he got lost. I mean, could those footsteps be the man who carried his body away? It's a weird story. I'd like to see some more about this article. I'm going to try and find more about it. USDA expands citrus quarantine in Texas. The U.S. Department of Agricultural, Animal, and Plant Health Inspection Service is expanding the area quarantine for citrus greening in Texas, according to a news release. The release said the USDA is adding all of Brazoria, Galveston, and Jim Hogg counties in Texas. And the agency is taking this action because of the citrus greening detectors in the plant tissue samples collected in multiple occasions in Texas, according to the release. If, if you were like me, you're probably asking what the heck citrus greening is. Well, let me tell you. Citrus greening disease, also known as yellow dragon's disease. All right. That's all I needed to know. Thank you. Goodbye. Just kidding. It's a disease caused by vector transmitted pathogens. It's what it does is it yellows the lemons, limes, oranges, and it kills the fruit and all of the leaves in the plant. This hurts us because I, <laughs> we got a little lime tree in the backyard. His name's Ernest, and I might have to go put a bubble over him now so he doesn't, you know, get this disease because we want him to grow big, nice, and tall. But damn, yellow dragon. It spreads, it's a spread of the disease and it, it's it really hasn't affected the citrus growth in Texas, but I think probably because of this early detection by the USDA and the quarantine, I think that helps it not spread so much. Solar energy to disrupt Texas fossil fuel. Texas dominates the wind energy, producing far more wind-generated electricity than any other state. But when it comes to solar energy, Texas lags behind California, North Carolina, and a few other states. So Texas said, hold my beer. Texas is expected to double its solar energy by next year and then double it again the year after, further transforming the state into an energy mix and pressuring traditional power generators that bet heavily on natural gas and fire power plants. Um, this is kind of a no-brainer. We're not going to be able to last on that natural gas power plants forever, so we have to start thinking more effectively, and this is a great step for Texas. We've always had wind energy. Most of you have seen all of these um, big turbines if you've seen them on the highway they're way bigger than they look up in the air but this will definitely help us be more sustainable and it's it's something that we drastically need considering that climate change is is a real thing and uh, we want to dominate in wind and solar energy a federal judge on tuesday approved a historic settlement agreement between taiwanese-based plastic manufacturer formosa and a scrappy environmental activist re represented by Indigent Legal Services nonprofit Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. The TR TRLA said that the $50 million settlement is the largest in Texas history involving a private citizen's law lawship against an industry polluter under federal clean air and water laws. The money will be poured into a trust over the next five years, and they used to pay for programs supporting pollution mitigation, habitat restora restoration, and public education and other environmental efforts on the middle of the Texas Gulf Coast. Uh, we've touched about this a few times. The Gulf Coast is full of plants. Now, these plants are multiple offenders of abusing 
those laws for the clean air and clean water. We see this a lot. So this is them having to kind of pay up for that. And we definitely need to restore some of these habitats and get, we used to be the biggest uh, migration for birds and we no longer are. Um, can't stress this enough. Don't mess with Texas. Let's clean this junk up. A message in a bottle found in a Texas river after 31 years. A Texas man who tossed a bottle into the river in 1988 was reunited with his letter after a, a man found it when he was hunting. Did not just say don't mess with Texas. Waylon Jones said he was hunting in the Toledo Bend when he found a glass bottle floating in the Sabine River. The bottle contained a note written on a piece of paper. Jones posted a photo of the find to Facebook where it came to the attention of William Hall's granddaughter who recognized his handwriting. What? <laughs> so, you're telling me that his granddaughter recognized the handwriting of a serial literer from a photo. I Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know what any of my grandparents' handwriting looks like, but more power to her. The only thing it says that was on the note was a phone number, which kind of explains everything, but I really want to know what, what's on the rest of the note. They don't say on the article. Maybe it's a location of Jimmy Hoffa's body. Now it's time for some Huckum. Chuck em, football news. Carolina Panthers firehead coach Ron Rivera after a 5-7 and seven start. I, for one, think this is a huge mistake. The team needs stability. It hasn't had stability at the quarterback position, which is the major portion of its problems. Um, you're not going to do better than 5-7 and seven with a rookie quarterback. Ron's a solid coach. Cam Newton, not so much. I mean, he's been hurt like two or three years in a row. I think this is going to hurt the Panthers letting go of Ron. I think this is a huge mistake, but Ron will probably end up with a really good team. He probably is a defensive coach. We'll see where that lands. Good luck, Ron. Panthers made a huge mistake letting you go. Now we have some Week 13 power rankings. Uh, the rankings were posted just a little bit earlier. The Ravens came in at number one at 10-2. and two. For obvious reasons, they're going to be really hard to beat. The Seahawks, they came in at 10-2. and two. Um, This could be a precursor for the Super Bowl. Honestly, the Ravens and the Seahawks look like they're the strongest teams. They definitely should be at 1-2. and two. two great quarterbacks, two great defenses. At number three, we do have the 49ers. They came down from number two. The 49ers look good. They just don't look as solid as the Ravens and the 49ers. At number four, we have the Saints. Drew Brees is... The Saints have a really bad division, so it makes them look really, really good. But they're still the Saints. You can't really just wave them off. The Patriots have dropped from number two to number five. Rightfully so. Tom Brady did not look good in the last game. They don't have a solid receiving core. They're going to they're gonna struggle in the playoffs. Well, It's going to be interesting to see how Tom Brady comes back from this, if he can just find somebody to throw the ball to. At number six, we do have the Packers at 9-3. The Packers are also very, very strong. Aaron Rodgers has a knack for winning these close games, so I feel like if they get into the, to the later stages of the playoffs and there's a close game, Rodgers is probably going to win that game. At number seven, we do have the Texans. I don't know if they should be number seven because number eight is the Chiefs. I would put the Chiefs before I put the Texans because the Chiefs' defense is finally caught on. But either way, that could be shifted up and down. I think that the Chiefs should be number seven and the Texans should be number eight. Two good teams. 
they'll probably go decently far into the playoffs. I don't know how far the Texans will go because they got some tough teams to beat in the AFC. At number nine, we have the Vikings. You can't take Kirk Cousins out of the equation. He's still playing good. May not have won a Monday night football game in nine games. But the Vikings have a great defense. They still have a chance. At number 10, we have the Bills at 9-3, and three, another solid team. At number 11, we do have the Titans at 7-5. Seven, seven and five. The Titans are a good team. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do if they can get into the playoffs. But they deserve to be at number 11. The Steelers are at number 12. Not really sure how they have a 7-5 record, but more power to them. I think one of the, the most disappointing things this season is what the team that comes in at number 13, the Los Angeles Rams. They do not look good this year. Number 14 is the Cowboys at 6-6. Six and six. Whew. The Cowboys don't look good. I saw an article today where Jerry Jones said that Jason Garrett will coach in the NFL next year. He didn't say that he would coach the Cowboys, though. Um, at number 15, we have the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders are up and down. They've lost two back-to-back games in a really, really sad fashion. But number 15 is where they belong. Number 16, we have the Colts at 6-6. Six and six. Number 17, we have the Bears at 6-6. Six and six. Um, Really nothing to say about either of those teams. They're just teams. Uh, the Browns are surprisingly at 18. The Browns are another disappointment this year. The Chargers are at number 19 also with which coincides with the number of receptions Phillip Rivers threw last game. Just He didn't throw that many. But he's probably thrown that many in the last four games. Um, number 20, we have the Panthers. Yet they still fired Ron Rivera. Number 21, we have the Eagles. Number 22, we have the Buccaneers. This is going to be a snooze fest for the rest of the way, so just bear with me. At number 23, we have the Broncos. Number 24, we have the Jaguars. Number 25, the Falcons. Um, 26th, the Dolphins, 27th, the Jets, 28th, the Redskins, 29th, the Cardinals, 30th, the Lions, 31st is the Giants. And then at the very last, the very end, trying to get those picks is the Bengals with one and 11. Um, I can't wait for the playoffs. Who cares about the last 15? The first 15 are the teams that are still within like some, some mathematical playoff. But the Ravens and the Seahawks would be a great Super Bowl. I'd love to see that. Um, but we'll stay tuned. Hopefully next week we'll have some more sports news. All right, let's end the podcast with a little bit of Texas tradition of talking about the weather. Now, Houston has a pretty decent day aside from the humidity at 44%. Um they have a high of 74 and a low of 52. San Antonio is going to be mostly cloudy with a high of 75 and a low of 49. Dallas is going to have a high of 40 or high of 69 and a low of 47. Austin will mostly mostly be sunny with a high of 74 and a low of 48. Again, El Paso is going to have some cloudy weather with a high of 65 and a low of 45. Uh, poor Brownsville, it's hot again. It's 80 degrees in December down south. With a low of 62. Um, remember winter, Victoria? Because it's 78 today with a low of 51. But at least we have 54% humidity in December. Sorry, I'm a little salty about it. Want some cold weather? I got an addition to today's weather. Carrizo Springs. Shout out to Michael for working in the most dangerous places in Texas. 
Today we got sunshine with a high of 75 and a low of 46. Stay safe out there, buddy. If I missed your region of Texas, shoot me a message. I'll be glad to add it to my weather report, which obviously is expanding. So feel free to send me whatever you want. Um, other than that, that's today. That's it for today. Have a nice hump day. We'll get back to you tomorrow. Have a great day, Texas. <laughs>